Welcome to What's Up Tybee. I'm Sandy McLeod. One of Tybee's most iconic, funky, and treasured gathering spots is on the island's north end. The North Beach Bar and Grill is perched in the shadow of the famous lighthouse just across the dunes from the ocean. It's a great spot to catch a breeze, watch a passing ship, have a yummy meal, sip on a delicious frozen drink, and catch your favorite band while the locals hang out with visitors who all wish they could call Tybee home. At the center of this island's treasure on most days, you'll likely find its brainchild and owner, George Spriggs, who started operating the restaurant 30 years ago. Today, George will share with us his unlikely journey from his big city childhood to his destiny on the speck of an island where he slowly transformed a crooked little shack into an internationally famous eatery. I'm originally from Washington, D.C. My dad's a native Washingtonian, and my mom's a southerner from Florence, South Carolina. They met in church in Washington, D.C. As my mother said, he was prowling around in church. But uh, I am the son of a preacher man. Like I said, born and raised in Washington, D.C., so I'm a city kid. Love concrete and high, tall buildings and hustle and bustle. Left D.C. and to go to college. And I went to college in Durham, North Carolina, Duke University. Started some grad school at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And then, you know, had a, a denouement. Um, woke up one morning and I said, you know what I think I wanted to do, I don't want to do anymore. And so I don't want to plan life out either. I want to live. And so I started working in a local um print shop, started waiting tables part-time also. And so I tell the story that I was working at a Red Lobster. One evening, someone walked in the front door. I was in the lobby. The wind was blowing. And I heard a voice say, move to Hilton Head. And I knew of Hilton Head only by, you know, hearing other people talk about it, but I'd never been. And it so happened that the print place that I worked at, she and her husband had a condo on Hilton Head. And she heard me talking one day. She says, well, you can go down and uh, stay in the condo and see how you like it. And I said, okay. So I came down in maybe like September of 1987. Looked around the island. I went in a couple of places, applied for a job, planning on coming back at the first of the year. Found a place. They said, okay, we'd love to have you when you get here. I said, great. Came back to North Carolina. About a week later, I get a call. Can you come early? So on Thanksgiving Day, 1987, was my first day of working on Hilton Head Island. George left his academic journey where he was studying religion to find a simpler life at the beach for a while. I began just living, not knowing exactly what life was going to provide, but knowing that I'm going to just take advantage of whatever happens. So um, started waiting tables there at the Harbor Town Golf Club. Back in those days, it was called the MCI Heritage. It's gone through a couple of different sponsors, but it's still there. And uh, started working at other private restaurants there. Started my own business over there with a couple of friends, a home health agency. One of the partners in it had been in that business, sold it, and she wanted to start a new. We had met in church again, and uh, I said, yeah, I can, I can do that. I can be a part of that. So it was growing, doing well. It had a nanny component to it. And then as things got more and more involved, some things weren't right. And I'm like, mm, this is going to get us in a lot of trouble. 
So I decided to step away from it and turn my shares back into the other partners. So um, I went back and concentrated on just uh, waiting tables, bartending. And then uh, one day, a gentleman I was working with at a hotel, I had made the statement uh, that it was time for me to leave this and move, move on to something else. And I don't know what he heard because he followed it up by, well, if you want to do something different, there's a place on Tybee that me and my wife visit when we go to the beach and they lease it out every year. And I th- he said, I think it's up for lease. So if you're interested, I can take you over there and you can look at it. And I'm staring at him like, that's not what I said. But for some reason, I did not put a damper on it. I said, okay. So a few days later, I jumped in the car. He drove me over here, drove me onto Tybee. We meandered through the residential area, got into the lighthouse area. And then we found this little shack sitting lopsided in the sand underneath the shadow of the lighthouse and Shriners Club. And um, I stared at it. And I clearly saw what was there, but also clearly saw what it could be. And I said, okay, I think I can do something with this. Although the rickety structure wasn't much to look at, George had a picture in his mind of what it could be, but he had no idea it would take so long to turn into a reality. I had a friend of mine who was an artist do a little sketch, and we turned it into the city. He said, we want to lease this place, and this is what we want to do with it. And they said, okay, $250 a month. And uh, so we leased it. The gentleman who had brought me over here to show it to me, he made it clear that he wanted to participate. So it was as if we were going to go in as business partners. And then all of a sudden, one day he just said, no. And I had already started putting money into it and getting all the licenses and stuff. And there was another gentleman I was working with who heard that I was possibly leaving to open it up and He was just questioning me, and I looked at him and said, are you interested? He said, well, I might be. I said, well, here's the deal. I'll just drive you over there. You look at it. If you catch a vision for it, so be it. If not, then nothing lost. Drove him over. Um, He looked at it, and he kind of nodded his head, and his own name was also George, and so it became Big George, Little George, and we opened this place up called, at that time, the North Beach Grill on the north end of Tybee Island. The original structure there was just a little square, battleship gray building. It had uh, flaps that you lifted in the front. My understanding that it used to sit out on the beach, and those flaps were where the crab races used to originate from. The sketch that I gave them fixed that building, but it added another L-shaped building onto the side of it and a couple of decks, one on the other side and one in front. And that is eventually what happened, became the grill for many years. Now, in 2019, we did a massive renovation. But for years, the grill looked like those original drawings that I submitted to the city. The time from 1987, I think it was 19, maybe 98 or 99, that the building actually came into being the way that I had given it to the city. And so that always has resonated with me that, wow, that's what vision is all about, right? 
You put something out there that you see in your mind's eye that has no relationship to what's there currently, and then it comes to be. So that's always been kind of special for me and the grill. Anyone who's lived on Tybee or stayed here long enough notices pretty quickly there are some peculiar things about the island, including the politics. George got a good taste of it from the start before he ever sold his first crab cake or beer. Tybee is nothing else. It is a conglomerate of characters. And it all started with my first visit to a city council meeting. I think I was a little shell-shocked because there was a reporter there with a camera and he kept looking over at me and I think I must have had this look on my face like, what is this? Where am I? What, is this really a governmental procedure going on in here? It was, it was nuts. And I'm like, okay. At that first meeting, I had already gotten the lease. I already gotten permission. Okay, you can take it over. But there was a beer and alcohol license that came with it. But for some reason, I had to go before council still. And there were certain people just discussing, you know, and nobody knew who I was. I mean, nobody nobody had ever seen me, really, because the original application was taken in by the gentleman's... I had gotten sick, I believe, yes. And so his wife, who was an attorney downtown, came to Tybee, dropped off the original application for us. So when I showed up at this meeting for the beer and wine license, someone said, well, is the person here? And I stood up. And that was the first time anybody had ever seen me. And I don't know if I still had that look on my face like, what is going on here? But, you know, there was chatter and then there was discussions. And I remember one person stood up and every time I see him, I thank him because he was like, what are y'all doing? Stop. This man just wants to do a business here. The license comes with the lease. There shouldn't even be a discussion here. Go ahead and give it to him. And so I, I walked out of there with my beer and wine license. What Big George and Little George had in mind at the beginning was a far cry from the restaurant that sits here today, which has become featured in movies, TV shows, and national magazines and newspapers. The initial goal was to just open like a concession stand. And then from that, we had planned on garnering enough funds to then start a restaurant. Our first customers were a group of 15 Cajuns who were working on the beach renourishment. And they came in, whatever we had, they thought was great. They would eat. They would drink the beers that we had in a cooler sitting on the floor. That was a legitimate, the first customers. And they started the trend. They were about, they were down for about a month. They got us going. It was working out as a concession stand. And then one of the customers that was frequenting us asked, hey, can you cook dinner? Me and my wife, the couple coming in, can you do a dinner for us? I said, oh, I'm sure I can. Okay, let's do this. I did a dinner, and from there on, emerged the North Beach Bar and Grill. We had jerk salmon on the menu, and we also had jerk chicken, and crab cakes were there from the very start also. So yeah, I guess the word just spread. We started hiring people to work and built on that. If you lived or visited Tybee in the 80s and 90s, I'm sure you'll remember a whole different type of clientele that frequented most of the island's establishments, such as they were. George has fond memories of many of those characters, like a maintenance guy that everyone knew as Pee-wee, who often stopped by bearing gifts of old keys, discarded spoons and forks and other trinkets that he would find at his job and then provide his own unique form of entertainment. 
and Pee Wee would just talk and hang out with whoever was there. And, you know, he was one of these cunning, you know, he just had street smarts. And uh, I remember a couple of guys had found a, a snake in a barrel that was, I don't know why it was around the grill, but it was there. And Pee Wee was out there and they, I guess they wanted to play games and they took a 20 and they dropped it in there in the barrel with the snake. And they looked at Pee Wee and they said, hey, you can have a $20 bill if you can reach in. And it's a rattlesnake because that's what's in the dunes around there. And he said, you can get that. You can get it. It's yours. Pee Wee looked at them, looked in the barrel, looked at them. And I think he was still looking at them when he went, whoosh, and snatched the 20 out. <laughs> I mean, the snake would have had no time to react anyway. It was hysterical. And then one day we asked Pee Wee, Pee Wee, what's your teeth are moving. And why why are your teeth moving? And he goes, oh, these are my daddy's teeth. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if I had a reply. I think I just was like, okay. And I turned and walked away because I, what, what was I going to say? And then it got to the point that we would have a tip jar on the bar. And Pee Wee would just come and sit. And every once in a while, he'd just go in the tip jar and take take money. Finally, we had the staff was like, you got to do something. And so, Pee Wee, I think it was the other George, asked Pee Wee, you, you, or no, so a customer asked him, because they knew, why are, you, why are you taking their money? And he said, oh, they know. It's okay. <laughs> but, you know, he would bring things by. When he's going on his daily duties, he would find stuff and he would bring them to the grill. He just put them on the bar, and we were like, "Pee Wee, where did you get this?" And he would say, "Oh yeah, I was over here and under uncle yonder and under there and cleaning this, and I found this. Y'all can have it." I was like, "Again, where am I?" Oh, it's so interesting because I've been there so long. You see the metamorphosis of people, okay? So, you know, it's now, it's interesting to see people now. And you look at them and you go, yeah, I knew you 20 years ago. I remember chasing you around the parking lot trying to get your car keys away from you so so you couldn't drive away. (laughs) But now we're all respectable, right? (laughs) As time went on, the grill was thriving. So in the early 2000s, he and his partner, Little George, acquired a second property on Tybee to start a fine dining restaurant that was called George's. All was great, and business was killing it for both locations until it all came to a screeching halt. So that wonderful period of time of 2008, 9, and 10, good Lord of mercy. Um, I still shiver a little bit when I think of that period of time because it was um, real estate took a dive and everything just kind of came tumbling after that. I had George's, which was a fine dining restaurant during that time, as well as the grill. And a lot of our clientele, a lot were from Atlanta. So people would just would drive in and we would be full that night with just people who driven in from Atlanta for a couple of days or maybe it's just for that evening or whatever. We had a lot of people coming in from areas in Savannah, out to Tybee, as well as our clientele out here. And when things changed, it changed overnight. I mean, it it was like 
August 1st of 2007, when we first started to see it kind of change. And then by the time 2008 rolled around, it was like, what is going on? And it was just so drastic, so fast that, you know, it was like, okay, how do we weather this? How do we do this? And and so Georgia's became one of the casualties of that particular period of time. Um, so that was a rough time because then I had, uh, we had bought the property and had to figure out what to do with it. You know, we weren't doing enough business. Uh, the other George at that time decided this was too much. He wanted to, to leave and nobody was buying anything. So we decided to sell it, but nobody's buying anything. And so it went back to the bank, basically. I think I came out of that as well as I could. The bank didn't hold me liable. There's no red mark on my credit score or anything that I had a building or return. They just took it back and um, did whatever they were going to do with it because they really didn't want, for some reason, they didn't want me hanging on to it, even though I had more equity in it than in liability. And so there was room to wiggle. But, you know, things work out for the best. The economic bomb from the real estate crash during those years rained down hard, and it took a lot of struggle and work to come back. For George, that included losing his original partner and gaining a new one, Tybee resident Catherine Williams, and also learning that business as usual was not going to work anymore, especially in regard to dealing with employees. Once George's was gone, it was time to try to bring the grill back into line, which had fallen into disrepair and disarray. and. Um, what happened there was once George's was gone, put out feelers to take on a new partner because George also left and to move forward. And that's when uh, Catherine came on board. And uh, so she was there from 2010 to just last year when we bought her out. And that was 2022. Life's good. There's all something you can just be proud of. We're still doing that. You know, every day is a goal to make it even better than yesterday. It's challenging because you have to convince other people to grab a hold of that vision and work with you. The days of people working for you is kind of over. If you can't get them to work with you, you're in a really bad place. So that's what I try to do. I try to encourage everyone, look, you're working with me. If I can't get you to understand what I'm trying to accomplish and you also adopt that, it's just not going to work. And so, you know, I have to do the things. I have to pay really well. I do. And I have to manage in a nuanced way. There are no more black and whites, you know, rules, regulations. Because I'm still a mom and pops kind of thing, I have to kind of do the dance. The steps of the dance may change when I'm dealing with this person or when I'm dealing with that person. The dance is still the same. It's just the little moves may be a little different depending on who I'm dealing with on that particular day. The goal is the big picture, making it all work. Little things yeah, some things fall through the cracks, but does the big picture, does that work? And it still is working, so. Most business owners know how hard it is to get and keep good help, especially after the pandemic. But to George, the secret is to commit to the employee if they have a good heart, even if they come with some challenging baggage. Well, in order to do that, what I've learned is I couldn't have a revolving door. If they came with issues and they were good, I had to deal with those issues. I had to work with it. So I had to step outside the role of just being a restaurant owner. It's become so much more over the years. I have godchildren. As a result of that, I performed three weddings 
for employees that have worked for me. I have eulogized a grandmother for one of my employees. I have bailed out of jail. I have sat with them in hospitals, paid for funerals. I've prevented them from getting evicted from apartments. And at the end of the day, the, the answer is maybe that's how we're supposed to handle our interactions with different folks. We may not all have the same means to do that, but we can all have the same heart to do that. George is laid back and easygoing, but when it comes to the product he puts out of his kitchen, he's all business. He says there's no excuse for bad food at a restaurant because every establishment has one special item in their kitchen that will prevent bad food. And he's also adamant about certain things that he will never put on a menu. Oh, you laughed. There were certain things I was vehement about for years. I had no corn dogs. I am not a fan of ranch dressing. Do not bring it near me. Somebody tried to slip it in on me, and I'm like, no, I would not serve steak sauce. Still don't serve steak sauce. I just put fried shrimp on the menu last year. You know, there's just some quirks that, you know, they're like, no corn dogs. Yeah, it's just certain things just wouldn't, I was like, nah, nah, never. If it ain't right, we don't have to send it out. Trash can is the chef's biggest supporter. If it ain't right, there's a trash can right there that will receive it every time. They're not going to talk back to you. It's not going to do anything but just say, okay. So it's very interesting when you go to a place and you get something that's just not right. I mean, on all levels. It's just not a matter of opinion. And you think, there's a trash can right there in the kitchen. Why did that make it out? And so I, I still go by that. You know, if it ain't right, just shove it over in the trash can. Running a restaurant's not an easy thing to do. You're dealing with fussy, quirky, cranky, challenging people, and that's not even including your customers. So having a good, upbeat attitude and trying to stay focused on the positive is critical to success. George definitely has that mentality. And if you're at the grill, don't be surprised if you hear him just break out in song of cheer without warning. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on that meadow. The corn is as high as an elephant's eye. And it looks like it's going to be sunny all day. I don't know why that I do that. I mean, but I just do. It's just, I don't know if it's a release or whatever. And it doesn't, you know, my, and then my staff just... Oh, okay, whatever. There's George. We're not politically correct at the grill either. We're like, speak your mind. Nobody's getting offended around here. So, you know, it's a public place, public. We work together. And I, you know, I don't get offended. I mean, it takes a lot because I'm like, you know, if you're going to get upset every time somebody says something or insinuates something, how do you find the energy for that? You're trying to do your thing, live your life, and every time somebody comes along or something comes along you don't like, you're going to get up in arms? I, I don't have the energy that. I'm a big tennis fan, and one of the things I watch is how many tennis players inhibit their success because they can never get a grip on their emotions. So if they hit a bad shot, they're going to spend the next 30, 45 seconds, oh, oh, I can't believe I missed that Oh. Or arguing about a bad line call rather than, okay, well, that's done. Let's move on. Let me win the next point. And you find that the greatest champions, they had that ability. They had the ability to leave all the histrionics to the side and just concentrate on what they're trying to do. I try to do that too. Let's keep walking. Let's keep walking the path. All that stuff to pull you to the left, to pull you to the right, is not going to benefit you. Just keep, keep going the path. 
By the way, you're invited to help the North Beach Bar and Grill celebrate the 30th anniversary during the holidays. Check out their Facebook page for details on cool, festive pop-up events that will be happening there in coming weeks. It also could mean some big bucks for a local charity. Thanks again to George Spriggs for taking time to share his story with us today. And thank you for listening to What's Up Tybee. I'm Sandy McLeod, your host, and also want to remind you, if you're thinking of buying or selling real estate on Tybee or anywhere in the Savannah area, get in touch with me. I'm an associate broker with over 20 years experience in this market, and I'd love to help you with your real estate needs. Until next time, thanks for listening to What's Up Tybee. And no matter where you are, live like your own Tybee time. <laughs>